It matters who you follow. Kids, a friend of mine once said to me, quoting something a grown-up had said to him, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. It matters who you follow. Now, Micah is a book all about contrasts, darkness and light, righteousness and evil, judgment and grace. In one passage this morning, we see God's fiery wrath burning against sin and threats of judgments. And then in another, we see hope-inspiring grace. Verses 12 and 13 end the first major section of Micah. And verses 1 through 4 are the opening of the next section. These are two oracles I read this morning, given at two different times. One of hope in light of the judgment threatened by the text before it, and another of judgment, the first judgment oracle of three that will come right in a row. And we read this in 2021, and we say, why so much judgment? And the answer is because that's the reality of what we deserve for our sin and rebellion against God. We we can't lose sight that God is perfectly holy. And so sinners should expect nothing else but judgment when we shake our angry fists at God and say, no one tells me how to live. As other texts in Micah have reminded us, we need the threat of judgment or we would never repent. If living for ourselves seems to work, why would we ever change? Now, Micah has dropped seeds of hope along the way. He hinted at hope in verses 5 and 7 of chapter 2, and here he, for a couple of verses, brings that hope into slightly greater focus. Now, Stephen, in his prayer this morning made a distinction between types of trust, trusting in God for salvation and trusting in God for our day to day. And hope is very similar. It comes in multiple forms. And the kind of hope this passage talks about is relief from a very particular situation. It sets the stage to talk about another kind of hope in chapter four, hope for God's people. And chapter 5, hope for all mankind, all who will believe. You trust in God, and that provides hope for the end of your life, hope for salvation, for the world to come. But do you trust God enough to hope for deliverance from specific difficulties? When your back is against the wall, When it doesn't seem like there's a way out. Do you trust that God can and will deliver you from a specific hardship or time of trouble? And do you have the courage to pray to God for just that deliverance? That's what this story is about. Verses 12 and 13 are an oracle of deliverance, a promise from God to his people that would be kept in a very specific situation. We don't know the exact year Micah delivered this sermon, but it would be fulfilled in his own lifetime. The northern kingdom fell in 722. 
And from that point on, most of the territories of the southern kingdom started to fall to Assyria. And in 701, the Assyrian army surrounded Jerusalem and trapped the people inside the city walls. Scholars largely agree that the language of verse 13 makes it clear that it's 701 in Jerusalem that Micah's talking about. We are certain. The nation of Israel, combined north and south, had been decimated, nearly wiped out. And all that remains of it are these citizens in Jerusalem. And they are now trembling as they look over the walls and see Sennacherib, king of Assyria's powerful, unbeatable army gathered around their city. And at this point in the story, Hezekiah has already paid great sums of money to try to solve this problem. He's bribed Pharaoh to try to get Egypt to help them. He's bribed Sennacherib to try to get Assyria to back off. He melted down the gold from the doors of the temple and sold that off to try to get out of this dilemma. He's got nothing left to offer. Sennacherib's chief of princes comes before the gate of Jerusalem and he begins to mock Israel and to mock Hezekiah. Remember, Hezekiah was a godly king. He actually responded to Micah's preaching, responded to Isaiah's preaching in faith. And he had cleansed Israel of the altars to the false gods, of the high places of idolatry. And so the chief of princes of Assyria knows this and takes advantage of it and is taunting. He says, well, you tore down the altars to all these gods. So what God is going to save you now? None of these gods are going to help you. You threw their altars out of your city. He says, let's make a bet. I'll send you 2,000 of my best horses for war. And let's see if you even have 2,000 soldiers you could put on them. All of this was in fulfillment of the judgment oracles that God had given to Micah and Isaiah, the stuff we've been reading. Assyria had conquered the northern kingdom as God's judgment against their sin and idolatry. And Assyria had wiped out most of the southern kingdom for the sins we've just been reading about these last several weeks. And now they've arrived at the gate of Jerusalem ready to wipe them out. Micah foretold something else. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their And so when these events that I've described are taking place, when Jerusalem is surrounded, Isaiah, not Micah, is the prophet standing in front of Hezekiah. Isaiah knows this prophecy that Micah has said, and he encourages Hezekiah to trust the Lord and remain faithful. And Hezekiah gets a letter from Assyria. It says, Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given to me. And 2 Kings 19 tells us what happens next, so I'm just going to read a passage from that. 
Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed and said, O Lord, the God of Israel enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of man's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, Save us, please. From his hand, save us that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. And do you know what happened? When the leader of Israel, the king of Israel, spread this letter before the Lord and prayed that prayer, do you know what happened? God gathered the remnant of Israel and set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture. God opened the breach and went before them so that they could break through and pass the gate going out by it. What happened is exactly what Micah said would happen. It's one of the great miracles of the Old Testament that most of us probably don't remember. One day, Assyria has an army of 185,000 soldiers ready to capture Jerusalem. When they went to bed that night, they seemed invincible. But we read, both in 2 Kings, in the Bible, and in the secular history of Herodotus, that the Assyrian army didn't wake up. The next morning, Israel found 185,000 dead bodies in the Assyrian camp. Hezekiah opened the city gates and the people of Israel simply walked through the camp of their defeated enemy. And Sennacherib went back to Nineveh and never returned to Jerusalem again. One pastor reminds us it's all about perspective. Sennacherib believed that God had gathered his remnant to hand them over to his enemies. But the Christian can know that when the storms of life drive us to our knees, God's purpose is not to destroy us or to humiliate us. God gathers his people near to himself in order to save us. Circumstances that drive us to our knees are often what's most required to drive us away from ourselves, away from trusting our wisdom, our strength, our money, our connections, our friends. Situations and circumstances that we cannot control drive us away from ourselves. And God doesn't drive us away from ourselves in order to drive us away from him. He drives us away from ourselves in order to drive us to him, for he will save us. So, what then am I doing? I mean, Paul, the preacher, connecting that oracle, that amazing story, to what comes next in chapter 3. We have the story of victory. 
I could end a sermon from Micah on an up note for once. <laughs> and yet, I connect it to these terrible words of judgment in chapter 3. It's because I want you to remember that the story I just told from 2 Kings hadn't happened yet when these oracles were given. God's people and the leaders of God's people, a leader, had the promises of verses 12 and 13, but they had not yet seen these promises fulfilled. And at the same time, Micah is saying this to lead God's people. Other leaders are making promises too. The false prophets are promising them that everything will be fine if they just keep on keeping on. Sennacherib, we read in 2 Kings, is promising them land and safety and security if they would trust in him instead of Yahweh. Incidentally, so was the Pharaoh of Egypt making those same promises, even though he's powerless at this point to keep them. And so all these promises, everybody trying to lead them in different directions, how do they know who to follow and what difference does it make who they follow? The different kinds of leaders and the difference it makes, the results of following them is one of the stark contrasts offered in these next chapters. The religious rulers and false prophets of chapter 2 are contrasted with the Lord's leadership here at the end of this chapter. Chapter 3 kicks off another cycle of that contrast. Judgment first against the bad shepherds and those who follow them. And then much more to say in chapters 4 and 5 about the Lord's leadership as the good shepherd. This verses 1 through 4, this oracle is the first of a triad of four verse oracles, verses 1 through 4, 5 through 8, 9 through 12. They're each four verse oracles. Each is an oracle of judgment, each directed at the leaders of Israel. Each emphasizes how these leaders are using their power for personal gain rather than for the good of the people that they're supposed to shepherd. And so Micah asks Israel's leaders, is it not for you to know justice? That biblical word, know, is the one that conveys a deep, intimate knowledge. He's not just asking them, don't you know God's law? Aren't you aware of what God says? He's looking for Israel's leaders to have that written on their hearts, to have the law of God as the guiding star of their lives, the law of God informing how they live their life in every area, how they lead their families, and how they lead God's people. Each one of us has been given areas of authority and oversight. We have influence which becomes leadership. Even if we're not the person in charge, it's why the friend's point earlier was true. Show me your friends, I show you your future. Even the most dominant personality, the one who's the obvious leader of the group, is also being led and influenced by those around him. We all have areas of authority and oversight. We have circles of influence. We have items of responsibility. Many of us have been given wives and families, employees, children. The elders of this church have been given a congregation of God's people. And all who lead under the banner of God are supposed to know justice. We're supposed to lead the right way for the right purpose. And as Micah looks at Israel's leaders, 
It's not what he sees. One scholar wrote, Micah describes these rulers installed to shepherd the flock of God's people as ruthless wolves who rip the people apart. The language is relentlessly graphic. Kids, if your parents found words like these in a book from the library, I'm pretty confident they'd take the book away and give it back to the library in disgust. Who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones. Who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. But if that seems over the top, You've missed what's happening. These leaders, instead of shepherding God's people to truth, are feeding them lies. They're seizing land from God's people. They're throwing widows and children out on the streets. They're crushing their political opponents by deception and force. They're doing whatever it takes to use the power God gave them for themselves instead of for those they're supposed to lead. How else is Micah supposed to describe it? Of course, that's not how they would describe it, is it? They're just playing by the rules of the game. They're looking out for themselves and their families. They're getting with the times. They're just doing what everyone else is doing. After all, this is just how the world works. Micah's description is clearer. You who hate the good... And love the evil. They did what they did because they did not love. They did not love God, and so they did not love good, and they did not love their neighbor. They had no concern for justice or holiness. They only wanted to satisfy their own desires and use their power for their own good. And there is great danger in this. All authority is given by God, and we are in grave danger when we use that authority to harm those he's placed under our care. Leadership makes an incredible difference. Could Hezekiah have done what he did without the leadership of Isaiah and Micah? Could he have done what he did without knowing that he was led by the good and powerful hand of God? If he had trusted the leadership of Israel, instead, those wolves in shepherd's clothing, would deliverance have even been possible? No. Pastor Rick Phillips says, this is why the worst thing to do in times of darkness or doubt is to flee from the Lord. The worst thing to do in times of darkness or doubt is to flee from the Lord. When there's darkness and doubt, we need the Lord's leadership. We need to be closer to him. The Bible regularly compares people to sheep because our spiritual condition is a pretty accurate mirror of their daily reality. Sheep don't know a good thing when they have it. They will always wander away from the source of water. They will wander away from the nice grassy pasture. They will panic over nothing and then get themselves lost or put themselves in a position where they can't even be saved. 
They are helpless against dangerous predators. And doesn't all that sound a lot like your soul? That's why our souls need shepherds. We need leadership. And the shepherd leader that we follow makes all the difference. Kids, shepherds have two important jobs for sheep. And God does both of these for our souls. And both of them are mentioned in verse 12. It says, like sheep in a fold. Sheep are protected by bringing, uh, by being brought by the shepherd into a walled area that only has one entrance. There's only one way to get into a fold. Three walls and one doorway. And you know what the shepherd does? He gets the sheep in the fold and he lays his own body down across the entrance. Nothing goes out so the sheep can't wander off and nothing gets in that doesn't go through him first. That's why Jesus said in John 10, I am the door of the sheep. Nothing, when he brings you into his fold, can get to you without going through him first. And for all of our propensity to wander, which is strong, we cannot get out without him first. The other job of the shepherd is provision. The phrase in Micah is, like a flock in its pasture. Shepherds find pastures. They find waters. They find pastures of grass. They lead the sheep to them. And likewise, God, the good shepherd, supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. But Israel's shepherds were leading the people into judgment. They were leading the people into the wilderness. They were taking rather than providing. Instead of protecting, they were setting Israel's enemies up for victory. And the words of Micah's judgment oracles are a harsh but true warning of what will happen if people follow that leadership, those bad shepherds. The only hope to avoid judgment is to turn back to the faithful shepherd king, to the Lord. Though these bad shepherds' hearts were hardened, there was grace and mercy available to those who would turn back to the Lord, hear his voice, and follow. The bad shepherds would not give God's people justice, so God will give his people justice. The bad shepherds would not be merciful with God's people, so God would be merciful to his people and would show these bad shepherds none. God's words of judgment in verse 4 should terrify everyone who uses their God-given authority to get what they want instead of doing what's right for God's people. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them. Hide his face. God's judgment is the polar opposite of his blessing, what we call the ironic Aaron's benediction. Instead of having God make his face to shine upon you, his face instead will be hidden. It's harsh indeed. But they lived for self at the expense of God's people. They lied to the people through their words and their actions about truth and about God. What else is a holy God to do? What then 
are an unholy people to do. Yes, we are like Micah at times, but aren't we at times also like these rulers? Aren't we inclined to use the power and authority God has given us to enforce our preferences, to get what we want rather than to do what's best for others? And when we do that, don't we deserve God's righteous judgment too? We did deserve such judgment, but we will not have it. God heard our cries of distress. God acted in grace and mercy. Our salvation, just like Israel's remnant in Jerusalem, depended not on our character, but on God's who leads us, our great shepherd king. And so he leads us not only to salvation, but also to righteousness. Under his leadership, we can live for him. We can love others. We can use the authority and influence he's given us to bless and help his people. The way of the bad shepherds has no hope. God would deliver Israel here, but ultimately these rulers and these people would not change. They would not turn to God in repentance. And so in just a few years, Jerusalem will fall to Babylon and God's people will be taken into exile. And the contrast in shepherds and results should not be lost on us. Listen to this. These sections depict Israel's plight under human leadership whether princes or prophets, priests, rich landowners, because of these incompetent leaders and the people's willingness to follow them, their future holds nothing but disaster. But there is yet one ray of hope which stands open even in this disaster. Complete trust in God as the only leader worthy of our full allegiance. Who are you following? What are you relying on for your help and defense in times of need? And how do you think that's going to end? Yes, the false prophets of this world, those who tell us to trust in ourselves and our own strength, they promise no judgment. But they offer no salvation. And therefore no hope. The good shepherd, yes, he does threaten judgment. It's clear here because in our sin, we need to hear it. And from this awareness of need comes possession of God's power for holiness. Whatever you're battling, let him lead you and he will be your hope. If you're in hardship, feeling trapped behind the walls of circumstances as enemies close in tight around you, if it's fear and anxiety of what will come tomorrow, let him lead you and he will be your hope. If it's against indwelling sin, anger that won't dissipate, forgiveness you can't find, lust that gets the worst of you, selfishness in leadership, lack of self-control, let him lead you, and he will be your hope. 
Christian, I know that there are many voices in this world calling out for you to follow them. Follow the good shepherd. His rod and staff will comfort you, protecting you from threats out there and threats in here. He leads you to green pastures and still waters, providing for every need so that we have nothing to fear. Whatever threats, whatever needs overwhelm you this morning, take hold of this. He is your shepherd, and he is good.